Solomon is the king, and his enemies are gone. You might be wondering, what, why is this important? Well, welcome to Uncaged Bible Study. We hope our name gives it away, as we are looking to unleash God's word in its entirety, from beginning to end, and unlock the power within the pages of scripture. We aim to restore the authority of God's word in a world that has lost its understanding of doctrinal truths, as well as shed a light on how from the first page to the last page, the Bible is pointing us towards Messiah, our Savior, Jesus. So we hope you enjoy the Bible study today. And if you did, follow us or share the podcast to help us spread the word around the globe. And if you leave us a five-star review, that's a great way to let us know that you say amen and are impacted by what you've heard. So thank you for joining us on this journey. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the Bible is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Let's unlock the cage together. Father God, uh, I just want to say thank you again. It has been a long couple of weeks. It's been anxiety-ridden, stress-ridden, emotional, uh, and there's been a lot to do, a lot to be thankful for, a lot to be sad about. But uh, God, you have provided still, as of right now, this place for us to gather and go through your word. And God, we thank you for this moment and for this place. Uh, And we also thank you for what is coming and what is next. Uh, We know that that's in your hands. And uh, we really appreciate your provision and everything that's happened so far uh, to make staying together a reality uh, and creating a worship space for us. God, I just ask that you would would be with us this evening as we open up this book. Help us to see some insights and uh, look into your grand plan. In Jesus' name, amen. So we open up 1 Kings. When it comes to this book, there's a lot we don't know. We don't know who wrote it. Uh, Ancient Jewish tradition states that Jeremiah wrote it, but some of the book takes place outside of Jeremiah's purview because Jeremiah did not go along with the Babylonian exile. He went to Egypt instead. So it's likely not Jeremiah that wrote this book. We don't know who did, uh, but we can gather from evidence that it was probably written during the Babylonian exile somewhere between 560 and 530 BC um, by someone who experienced probably the last king, Zedekiah, and was part of the exile into Babylon when Nebuchadnezzar took over Jerusalem. But this book covers the last acts of David, David's life and mostly focuses on Solomon all the way to Zedekiah. It even covers the breaking up of the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel, which the books of Chronicles do not do. The books of Chronicles only cover the southern kingdom of Israel. So while it covers the same events, Chronicles only is worried about the southern kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem was, and the temple. Kings covers both the north and south, and all of the kings from north and south, from Solomon to Zedekiah. 
And so we start out with David's kind of final act. It says, Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he couldn't get warm. And so David is really, he's about 70 years old, which is old back then, um, not ancient, kind of, you know, similar to today. It's close to the end of the average lifespan. But David is not just elderly. David has really lived a pretty full life. Going through the books of Samuel and uh, Chronicles, you'll see that David just never stopped from the moment he was a teenager and he got called out of that pasture by Samuel and was anointed king. From that point on, he was basically running his whole life. He fought a giant. He was on the run from Saul. Then he became king and he was responsible for the kingdom of Judah. He united the kingdom. He had rebellion in his house. And then he reunited the kingdom after that. And David just was nonstop going and going and going. David lived constantly. He was a man on the battlefield for decades, as well as dealing with the stresses of uniting a kingdom. And so David was really, his body had had it by this point. And so it says, therefore, his servant said to him, let a young woman, a virgin, be sought out for the Lord our king and let her stand before the king and let her care for him. Let her lie in your bosom that our Lord the king may be warm. This is what's happening. David is so frail and so beat up at this point. He honestly, he can't even keep warm. And maybe that's something we all kind of understand as we've gotten older living in upstate New York, that it's hard to stay warm as your body gets older. And imagine a body that has gone through everything David's been through. From as a teenager fighting Goliath, reigning a country, and fighting battle after battle after battle. Now, they decide to bring a young woman in to lay with him to keep him warm. This isn't what it sounds like. And you'll see that in a second. So verse 3, they sought for, So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all of the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely, and she cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. And the word know, just as you catch from Genesis, is talking about a sexual relation. Even though Abishag became part of the king's harem, she became one of his concubines and one of his, he was legally bound to her, they did not have that type of relationship. She was really just his caretaker at the end of his life. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, what have you done? So he was also a very good, he was also very good looking. His mother had born him after Absalom. Then he conferred, conferred with Joab, son of Zeruiah, and Abiathar, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok, the priest, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shimei, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. So we see something very similar happen again. Adonijah is the fourth oldest son of David. Amnon rebelled. 
Absalom rebelled. We don't know anything about the third son of David other than that he's mentioned in David's lineage. He's probably, he probably died at a young age, and now the fourth son is trying to take the kingdom from his dad. And what he does is, is honestly kind of smart. He gathers chariots and horsemen and 50 members of the army to run before him. What he does is he projects strength to the nation. He puts together an army. He gets horses and chariots, things that symbolize power and strength, particularly of military. And he does this before the people of Israel to gain their, their understanding that he is the next king, which is naturally what they probably thought because he would have been next in line at this point anyway. And he also was really good looking. He was Absalom's younger brother. So we see another son of David doing the same thing that Absalom did. And here's the interesting part. In verse 6, it says his father had not rebuked him at any time. So we have another son of David who David never really stepped in and fathered him and taught him how to be a man. He never kept him from anything or forced him to sacrifice. Just kind of always had what he wanted. And he again lived off his good looks and charm. And so when time came to usurp power, he thought, how easy this will be for me. I'll just project military strength, and with my good looks and charm, people will invite me in. And that's what was happening. In verse 9, Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened cattle by the stone of Zoheleth, which is by Enrogel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. So this is what's happening. Adonijah has grabbed Joab and Abiathar. He has a priest to help him with the worship portion of, of the kingdom to convince people that he's the king. And he's got Joab, the, the military commander of David, to help convince people militarily that he's the strength. And so he commits a sacrifice, a religious ceremony in front of the people as though he's being coronated as the new king. But he, he refuses to invite Nathan the prophet God's prophet in Israel at the time. He also doesn't invite Benaiah, another member of the priesthood who's important at this time, or any of David's mighty men, the rest of the strength and military who are still serving David. So this is, he's really cunning. He knows what he's doing. He's protecting his image so that there's no conflict with what the people see in front of them. In verse 11, so Nathan Nathan, who you know catches on, and he reports things. Nathan was the one who told David about his own sin and got him to go turn back to God. Nathan now is confronting Bathsheba. So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Come, please, let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, As surely as your son, uh, as surely your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? Then while you are still talking there with the king, I will also come after you and confirm your words. So Nathan comes up with this plan, and he's utilizing a biblical principle. Bring in a couple of witnesses. There you go. And so he tells Bathsheba, 
hey, David made a promise to you that Solomon would be king. Adonijah is usurping that, that throne. Go to David and protect yourself because otherwise Adonijah is going to kill you and Solomon. Because in order to take over the throne, he needs to get rid of his enemies. And so Bathsheba is now to go to David, tell him what's going on, and then Nathan is going to come in and back her up as the prophet. And Nathan, by the way, has a powerful presence in David's space because of what Nathan has already done in David's life and how that was connected to Bathsheba. So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, what is your wish? And she said to him, my lord, you swore by the Lord, your God, to your maidservant, saying, assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now look, Adonijah has become king, and now my lord, the king, you don't know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fattened calf and sheep in abundance and has invited all of the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he has not invited. So she's telling him exactly what's going on. Adonijah's taking over. He's sacrificing with the priest and Joab the commander of the army, but he hasn't invited your mighty men. He hasn't invited Solomon. Take notice of what's going on because you said Solomon would be king. Verse 20, and as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who sit on the throne of the lord, the king, after him. Otherwise, it will happen when my lord, the king, rests with his fathers that I and my son, Solomon, will be counted as offenders. She's saying, he's going to kill us. Verse 22, and just then, while she was talking with the king, Nathan, the prophet, also came in. So they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet, and when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and shall sit on your throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And look, they are eating and drinking before him. And they said, Long live king Adonijah. But he hasn't invited me your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and have you not told your servant who should sit on the throne, my lord the king, after him? And so he does exactly what he said he would do. He comes in and he confirms the story and he gives him all the details. And then he reminds him, didn't you say Solomon was going to be king? David, take control here. You don't have much time left. Then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. I just want to repeat that line because I think it's important. David's on his deathbed. And this is how he talks about God. As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. I hope I remember... God's redeeming work in my life when I'm at my most stressed. Just as I swore to you by the Lord God of all Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. So I certainly will do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed her face to the earth, paid homage to the king, and said, 
let my Lord King David live forever. I just I think it's funny this practice. She's coming to ask that Solomon would be the next king instead of David. David says this, and then it's just it's just common practice. It's a thing you would say to honor the king, but to say, "Oh Lord, may the Lord uh, King David li- live forever," after he was just promised that when he dies, her son gets to become king, is just a silly kind of I don't know. I can't help but kind of chuckle at that, like. Hey, David, when you die, can my son become king? Yes. Okay, but don't die, is how that conversation ends. But that's not really what it means. It's just sort of honoring the greatness of King David and what he's done for Israel. But King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. The king also said to them, Take with your servants of your lord and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. Then let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel and blow the horn and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne and he shall be king in my place, for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen, may the Lord uh, God of my Lord King say so too. As the Lord has been with my Lord the King, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than my Lord King David. So David says, okay, Nathan, uh, Benaiah, you guys, Zadok, the priest, you guys, you need to coronate Solomon right now. You need to take him to Jerusalem. You got to get him in front of people. You got to anoint him in front of the people, blow the trumpet, have him come sit in my throne. And this needs to be public because Solomon is the next king. And Benaiah is the one who, he just has emotion in this, right? He's so in David's corner. He's like, amen. May the Lord God of my Lord, the king, say so too. And he's just all about this plan. And he's all about being loyal to David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, And the Carathites and Pelethites went down, and Solomon rode on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And then they blew the horn, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, and the people played the flutes, and the earth rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. Now Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished eating. That's awkward. So people are the people are celebrating the coronation of King Solomon being the next king as Adonijah is having a feast about how he's taken the kingdom. And everyone hears it. And so Joab, as they finished eating, when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, Why is the city in such a noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest. And Adonijah said to him, Come in, for you are a prominent man and bring good news. Not so. He says, Come in here and give me the good news. What's all the the ruckus about? So Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. Not what Adonijah was expecting. 
The king has sent him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Carathites and the Pelathites, and made him ride on the king's mule. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. And they have gone up from there rejoicing, so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Also Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed himself on the bed. Also the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has given out to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. So all the guests were with, who were with Adonijah were afraid and arose and each went his way. So in the midst of this ruckus in the city, all the people that were following Adonijah suddenly got scared and went away because David finished moving the throne to Solomon. So Adonijah's rebellion did not last very long. Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. So this is something you would do in the ancient Near East, in the ancient Middle East. In any of the societies, their altars would have horns, and if you, if you grabbed a hold of the horn at the altar, you'd be begging for sanctuary from the priests. So you'd be begging for mercy. That's what he's doing. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. So he's begging for mercy, he's begging for his life, saying, I know I tried to take your job from you as the next king of Israel, but uh, please don't kill me, Solomon. So Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man... Not one hair of him shall fall to the earth, but if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before King Solomon, and Solomon said to him, Go to your house. So we have a stark contrast between Adonijah and Solomon. Adonijah looks to take the kingdom for himself, and he is usurping, trying to usurp power and project strength in front of the whole nation. And Nathan gets wind of this and points out that Adonijah is looking to kill Solomon and Bathsheba to make sure he has no enemies left in the kingdom. Solomon, on the other hand, didn't say anything. Nathan said something to Bathsheba. Bathsheba said something to David. David took care of it. Solomon is now the king, and Adonijah is begging for his life because he knows he's an enemy to Solomon. And Solomon says, as long as you don't act wickedly, you're fine. Go home. Just don't be evil. That used to be the Google motto. They failed to live up to it. Just don't be evil. Don't be evil. Chapter 2. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. So what is he saying? He's telling David, or David is telling Solomon, I'm about to die. I go about the way of the earth. This is what happens to all of us. We will eventually meet our end. And David is dealing with that right now. 
But he tells his son, be strong, prove yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning, saying, if your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you will not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Now David is finally doing the thing he should have always done as a father. That's how he spends his last moments, telling Solomon, do the right thing. Follow God. Don't fail him. Follow the law. Follow his words. God will bless you beyond belief, and he will bless Israel, and we will remain the dynasty on the throne. God promised. Verse 5, Moreover, you know what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime, and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist, and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. So, we've talked about Joab a lot. Joab has been fiercely loyal to David, but not very moral. He has done things that he should not have done. He has killed people for David's sake without actually considering whether that was a moral good. And David is basically saying, Solomon, you're the next king. Joab is the commander of the army. Be careful. He is bloodthirsty. He's not righteous. Make sure you take care of him the right way. Don't let him think he's in the right. Don't let him die thinking he's been a good man. Verse 7, But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. Now he's saying, look at these people who were loyal and good. Bless them during your reign. Verse 8, And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Baharim, who cursed me with malicious curse in the day I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. And know what you ought to do with him, and bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. So he is now talking about a character who is pretty two-faced and corrupt. And David said, well, I promised him, and I gave him mercy. Don't let him corrupt your kingdom. Do not let that go one step further. Just because I promised him something doesn't mean you have to. Get rid of the corruption so that the kingdom can be righteous, is what David is saying. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. So Solomon's reign is now established. 
But then we get to something interesting because while Solomon is the king, in order to establish the throne and make sure that it doesn't fade away, you have to deal with corruption and enemies. And Solomon has already dealt wisely with people and he has left it up to them how they are going to be treated. Now, Adonijah, the son of Hagith, came to Bethsaida, the mother uh, to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, Say it. So Adonijah goes to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. And he says, Oh, I come in peace. I just have one thing. I have one thing to ask. And she says, what is it? And he said, you know that the kingdom was mine. There's a little bit of delusion in that. You know that the kingdom was mine, and all Israel had set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Now I ask one petition of you, do not deny me. And she said to him, say it. So he's really laying it on thick. You know that I had all the, the birthright to take over the kingdom. You know the people were expecting it. But, you know, I'm following God. I'm following Dad. David gave the kingdom to Solomon. But even though I've been so let down by your son taking over the kingdom from me, I just, I just want one thing, Bathsheba. Will you give me this one thing? And he said, Please speak to the king Solomon, for he will not refuse you that you may give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as wife. Now we get to it. Bathsheba, will you talk to Solomon for me? I don't want to ask him because he'll say no to me, but he won't, he won't say no to you. All I want is Abishag, the, the concubine of David that he never slept with. I want, I want her to be my wife. Will you just do that for me? Now, if you remember some of the stuff we had talked about <laughs> up to this point, you know what he's really doing is he's trying to commit another act to take power that was once David's and usurp it by sleeping with the king's concubine, by marrying her. It would appear as though he was taking over what once was David's and gives him more claim to the throne. He's acting as an enemy to Solomon, even though he's pretending not to. So Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. Now, I don't know why Bathsheba goes along with this. Maybe she didn't really grasp what he was doing. Maybe because she was actually first the wife of Uriah, the soldier, she didn't quite understand the politics that was going on. Um, and she was naive, maybe, I don't know. Or maybe she was just guilt-ridden by his, his statements of, Look what you took away from me. Look what you and your son took away from me. And she just wanted to give him something. I don't know. Maybe she was just, her heartstrings were tugged. I don't know, but she doesn't respond wisely. And she says, sure, I'll talk to Solomon for you. And Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. And so she sat at his right hand. And she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. The king said to her, Ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. And so she said, Let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Adonijah, your brother, as wife. King Solomon answered and said to his mother, Now why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, 
for he is my older brother, for him and for Abiathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zeruiah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. So she tells Solomon, he just, he just wants to marry the pretty young girl that was in the, in the palace. And Solomon says, what are you thinking? Do you not know what he's doing? No, I'm not doing that. In fact, if, if I did that, I might as well give him the kingdom because he understands the political ramifications of what's happening here. And also, he made him promise he wouldn't act as an enemy, and that's exactly what he's doing. And he says, now, his life is on his own head. His wickedness has cost him his life because he has refused to set up the kingdom for righteousness and he's trying to take it away. He's trying to take away what God has put in place. So now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who has established a house for me, he promised Adonijah shall be put to death today. So Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. And to Abiathar, the priest, the king said, go to Anathoth to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from bringing priests to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. So he's sent out the order to get rid of Adonijah. Abiathar is being exiled. He's kicked out. He's not allowed to be in the priesthood. Abiathar was of the line of Eli, the, the priest that trained Samuel, whose sons were, were wicked. God told them that his line would not be serving in the priesthood anymore. This is the fulfillment of that promise. And then the news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. And King Solomon was, sold, was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. So Benaiah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. And he said, No, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought back word to the king, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. So, Joab has sought sanctuary at the altar, at the tabernacle, um, looking to be, because he knows, he knows he's done. And uh, when someone goes to take care of business, Joab says, uh-uh, I'm not leaving the holy place because I know what's going to happen the second I step outside there. Um, so Benaiah is going, going to tell Solomon what's going on. So the king said to him, do as he said and, and, and strike him down and bury him that you may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab has shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he and killed them with the sword, Abner the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah. Though my father David did not know it, their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Solomon fulfills what his dad asked him to do. He did what David asked. He is 
gotten rid of the wickedness in in the royal parties of Israel. He is he's killed Adonijah upon his rebellion. He's kicked out Abiathar, and now he's taking care of Joab. So Benaiah the son of Jehoiada went up and struck and killed him and. He's buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in place of Abiathar. Verse 36, Then the king sent and called for Shammai and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go down from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron. Know for certain you shall surely die and your blood shall be on your own head. So now Solomon has set another ultimatum. You are okay as long as you are not in rebellion, as long as you don't act wickedly, as long as you're not two-faced and you cross me, you're okay. The second you do, it's on you. And Shammai said to the king, The saying is good, as my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shammai dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shammai ran away to Achish, the son of Maka, king of Gath. And they told Shammai, saying, Look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shammai arose, saddled his donkey, and went, um, went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shammai went and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shammai had gone to, from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Then the king sent and called for, for Shammai and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die. And you said to me, The word I have heard is good. Why have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? The king said, Moreover, to Shammai, You know, as your heart acknowledges, the wickedness that you do to my father. David, therefore, the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. And so a whole lot's happened. A lot of people have died. Solomon is the king, and his enemies are gone. You might be wondering, what, why is this important? Well, not that long ago, we recently talked about a rebellion from one of David's sons. A false David false king, sitting on the throne, rebelling, but the king returns. And so now we have another son of David, Absalom's younger brother, another handsome but charming man, setting himself up as the king of Israel in place of David without his permission. And the same thing happens. In a short while, his son runs in and takes over the kingdom. So this is, again, another picture of Revelation 19. Jesus' return. At a time when a false Messiah, a false Christ, a false David, will be sitting on the throne of the world, the real son of David comes and rides in and takes the kingdom. Now the thing about Revelation 19 is that it's bloody. Because Jesus, upon his return, is getting rid of all the enemies. He's setting up the perfect kingdom. He's restoring earth to Eden. He's bringing in the millennial kingdom and he's 
bringing in perfection. He's getting rid of sin. He's going to be the judge. He's going to be the king. Evil is not going to be happening anymore. It's earth is being restored to Eden. Right now, David has been the best thing that's happened to Israel. Their borders have expanded. Their king has been a man who loved God. And it's been usurped by someone who looks nice on the outside, but is wicked on the inside. But then he sends in Solomon, his son, to usher in a period of peace even better than the one David had. And Solomon's reign is the golden years of Israel. And so it's a picture of the return of Christ. But in order for this kingdom to be set up appropriately so that the kingdom can expand, so that the temple can be built, so that worship can take place accurately, he had to get rid of the wicked. And that's what Jesus does in chapter 19 of Revelation. It's also why I had emailed you to read Matthew 5, 38 and 39. Because in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, like in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes across with these words. And he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the cheek, turn the other to him also. And then, actually, I didn't, I didn't highlight the right one, but that's okay. That, that, that counts. But also in the, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, he also says, if, an eye cause, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And Jesus is responding and teaching righteousness. If something is going to lead you astray, get rid of that thing. He's not actually saying cut your hand off or pluck your eye out. What he is saying is the things that have power over you that lead you away from righteousness, that lead you away from God, get rid of it. Now, from a practical standpoint, that's what Solomon was doing at the beginning of his reign. The things that were going to lead Israel astray, to cause conflict, to cause false worship, to cause division within the the Israelites, Solomon got rid of it and established his throne and the monarch so that he could reign, so that he had a priest who actually worshipped God rather than his own self-interests, and a commander of the army who also worshipped God so that all the leadership of Israel was pointing to God. Interesting that it's kind of a trinity. The king, the commander, and the priest. Also interesting that he destroys a trinity. The false king, the false priest, and the false leader of the army. The idea being, the things that are wicked and can lead you astray from God often are very tempting and look real shiny and they look good. Adonijah was a really handsome, charming guy. Joab was an incredibly strong commander of the army. Abiathar had quite a lineage and reputation from his time in the priesthood serving under David and being the son of Eli. But they were not loyal to God, they were not loyal to the king, and they were not going to help set the kingdom up 
for the righteousness that God commanded. So God, through Solomon, cut it off so that the early stages of Solomon's reign could be good. And Jesus' words take a more spiritual approach than a physical example, saying, if something is leading you astray, if something has power over you that gets you to lean away from God, find a way to cut that out so that your heart can remain pure as you get sanctified, as you get closer and closer to Jesus. Because what happens here is temporary. Eternity is on the line. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for these words. Uh, Thank you for the examples in the life of David and Solomon and the commanders of the army and the priests. God, help us see. Help us see your plan. Help us see your word and help us see your mercy and grace so that we can experience your love and have our hearts aimed at you. Help us to cut out the things that distract us and keep us from seeking you so that we can live the life you desire for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.